0: Welcome to 2819, I'm Sandra Dimas.
1: And I'm Daniel Elmageer.
0: In today's topic, I'm very excited, we're gonna be encouraging women who are in apologetics.
1: hmm in everyday apologetics, we'll hear from Erica Carlson on Christian women in science.
0: And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff Swarnk will talk with Leslie Wickman about the strongest evidence for Christianity.
1: First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Kathy Ross on encouraging women in ministry. So let's go ahead and check it out.
0: Now it's time for Culture Talk where we talk about culturally relevant topics you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with Kathy Ross. You are a senior editor here at Reasons to Believe, but you've been in ministry since the launch of Reasons to Believe. So let's unpack that. How long have you been in ministry and what roles have you taken in the course of your
2: years here? Actually, my roles in ministry started before Reasons to Believe. Because even when I was a, a, a student in school, mm-hmm. I remember at my church getting involved in the youth ministry, creating skits and performing skits. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I taught Sunday school. I remember the most fun was teaching junior high. That was <laughs> junior high girls. I, I loved that. Yeah. Um, and then when when I started going to Sierra Madre, a church in Sierra Madre. Mm-hmm where there was a very active Bible study program and outreach going on. Mm-hmm. I got very involved there. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's how I got to know Hugh. Mm-hmm. He was involved in outreach there. He was involved in organizing prayer for outreach, and then even doing the thing that I said I, I just didn't even believe in, which mm-hmm. was door-to-door evangelism. Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. just thought, oh, cults do that, Christians don't do that. Yeah. And then I learned they, they really do do that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a time and a place. Mm-hmm. And in that particular neighborhood, at that particular time, God was doing something. Mm. And we met with people in at their doors and invited them to a Bible study mm. and offered to talk with them about spiritual issues. Yeah. And it was actually very significant. It was life-changing mm. for me. And then when I worked at a, as a teacher at a community college, mm. I saw those students in my classroom as my mission field. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, we're all missionaries. Wherever we go, people are observing Christ in us and Mm -hmm. reading the Bible in a sense through us. So that was was a ministry. But then when I married Hugh and Hugh took the position at Sierra Madre Mm -hmm. at the church as an evangelism and missions pastor, After a while, I saw more and more opportunity and need need and opportunity combined to get involved with what he was doing. And so for a while, that's what I focused on. He was missions and evangelism pastor. Mm -hmm. So I helped him by creating a program for the women to do outreach and Mm -hmm. preparing dinners on Tuesdays for the team that would go out and visit. Mm -hmm. So that was a ministry. And then of course, when God called us to launch Reasons to Believe, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm Hugh's partner. I'm his partner in life. I'm his partner in ministry. I just need to help him Mm -hmm. in any way that I can. And what was fun was realizing that my work in communications and publications, yeah. which I had done in my career, it's like, you know what, that's that's gonna be useful yeah. to Hugh for, for ministry because I knew the importance of having a newsletter, mm-hmm. of having monthly communications with donors, mm-hmm. uh, so people who would be willing to support the work mm-hmm. and pray for it. So initially I was a volunteer, and then because I was responsible for deadlines and things, the mm-hmm. board decided I should at least be paid uh, hourly or whatever. Yeah. So I worked mostly at home for several years, mm-hmm. when my, especially when the boys were, were little. Yeah. And then as they got older, I think it was 97, when I. so the ministry was already about nine years old, mm-hmm. when, or no, actually, more, 11 years old, yeah. when I started having regular office hours coming mm-hmm. in. And of course, that's where I met yeah. you. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. you worked alongside me, mm-hmm. and my job then was pretty much uh, communications director, I think is what we called right. me, or editor. Mm-hmm. And so all those years, even at, before RTV started, my ministry was to help you, but also to edit his work. Mm-hmm because Mr. Science Guy, brilliant mind, (laughs) Mm -hmm. brilliant scholar, brilliant integrator, but not the smoothest communicator Mm. or clearest (laughs) when it comes to lay people who didn't grow up in the sciences. Mm -hmm. So that became my kind of my official role. He used to introduce me as his Translator. Oh right. <laughs> he still introduces you as the head of his translation team. <laughs> that's so so funny. it's hilarious. I know we have a translation team <laughs> because the editorial team has always been mm. a very significant part of this ministry right. because we've mm. needed people who can communicate effectively mm. and clearly, and that's yeah. uh, so. That's the team I led, and yeah. as we ended up needing more executive leadership. Mm. I just kind of moved into some of those roles and eventually became a vice president probably just because of seniority i'd been here the longest (laughs) i mean no but i i I loved working with teams i loved working with teams and seeing teams come together to get the ministry done and exercise their
0: gifts right and i love that you, you have decades worth now of ministry in a variety of roles. And I think it's helpful for anyone watching or listening just to hear from someone who's been in ministry for so long, but also to hear from a woman who's been in ministry for so long. Um, what are some unique challenges that you faced being in ministry and being a woman in ministry?
2: That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I have not faced a uh, a sort of the, uh, any kind of a glass ceiling or Mm. I I don't know what you would call that, but a prejudice against Mm -hmm. women. I have never had to experience that. But I do recall being somewhat intimidated by the board of directors Uh. because for several years, the RTV board of directors Mm -hmm. was a group of very, very distinguished, accomplished well-regarded men Mm. and I remember feeling intimidated in their presence Mm. so I had to get past that but that's my insecurity Mm -hmm. so and I don't know how many other women have to maybe deal with that sense of you know kind of being in awe of some people who have great accomplishment and authority male or female for Mm -hmm. that matter but I had to get past that a little bit I think initially just to interact with them in the Mm -hmm. way I needed to and to feel confident around them but you know that's something but the bigger thing I think Mm -hmm. for women is Mm -hmm. that we tend to be multitasking Mm -hmm. our whole lives Mm. certainly but once you become a wife and a mother especially you become multitasking and so we really have to work very hard at work-life balance Mm -hmm. and maybe there is no such thing maybe we're always just becoming really better at juggling Mm -hmm. so that task is is a challenge Mm -hmm. but also I think this thing that I'm gonna mention next Mm -hmm. is both it can be a liability, but it's also an asset, mm-hmm. and I think you know what that is. And that's our, our sensitivity, mm. emotional, yeah. social oh, right. sensitivity. And
0: that was going to be my next question: did is I, what did really I jump? some? No, no. I I think we're we're leading naturally to like the advantages of being a woman in ministry. So our yeah. sensitivity is an advantage. That's
2: one. The mm. other one that I think, and I don't know if this is. Just um, something I've experienced mm-hmm. in relationship with Hugh and with mm-hmm. other men I've worked with, but see if this resonates with you. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that women are better at coming up with creative alternatives mm. <laughs> when there's a roadblock. When men often, tend, at least the ones I've known and worked mm-hmm. closely with, they, they tend to see it. It's got to be if it's not going to work this way. Oh, what what can we do? You know, or oh no, it's not working out, and somehow or other, I just feel like I have been, you have been, other women I've known have been have been good at saying, well, if that doesn't work, we can still do this, or mm-hmm. have you thought about trying this? Mm-hmm. So that capacity we have that l- allows us to be good multitaskers mm-hmm. also helps us sometimes discover a way through. When it seems a way forward, mm-hmm. when it seems like something might be blocked, right.
0: yeah. And you know, I think that that leads to the next thing of really kind of encouraging women in ministry. We all, of course, bring different skill sets, yeah. whether male or female. Um, how we think, we all think differently, mm-hmm. and so we can work together as a team to lift each other up. But for mm-hmm. women in particular, now um, those who might be experiencing some some roadblocks themselves in in being Mm -hmm. in ministry and being, uh, carving out a space Mm -hmm. for themselves. What are Mm -hmm. some ways that you would encourage women who are interested in or who are currently
2: in ministry? One thing that has been really helpful to Mm -hmm. me is saying, reminding myself Mm -hmm. on a daily basis that when it comes to my relationship with God, Mm -hmm. which is the most important thing, i am seen
3: Mm.
2: i am known i am loved and i've and i'm approved Mm. i'm accepted and approved and that remembering that gives you that sense of anchoring Mm -hmm. and then recently i came across in my own just personal bible study i I read through different books of the bible and just kind of soak in the text as I can. I think mm-hmm. we all do that as Christians. We're just trying to soak in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, sometimes you read something you've read a hundred times, and it just strikes you in a new way. Yeah. And that happened to me a couple of days ago. And this, it, it, it's so funny because it relates to what we're talking mm-hmm. about today. <laughs> and it's the scripture in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And it, it's funny, it starts with the word therefore, so of course you have to look at the previous verse. Yep. <laughs> and I love the fact that the previous verse, Paul's reminding the Colossians that mm-hmm. we shouldn't look at each other as Jews or Gentiles or Scythians or barbarians or mm-hmm. slaves or masters, or and you could fill in men, women, whatever. Mm-hmm. So he mentioned all these things that we tend outwardly to think of mm-hmm. as differences. And then he says, but remember, Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, since we are holy, set apart, and dearly loved, we can clothe ourselves with compassion,
4: mm-hmm.
2: kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience, forgiving grievances, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that there will be grievances. Right, because we're human. Because they happen in Mm -hmm. Mm ministries and anyway, but forgiving them as Christ forgives us. And then he says, and above all, put on love, which binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. And I thought, you know, one thing we have going for us as women Mm -hmm. is that our culture kind of affirms these qualities in women. Mm. You know, yeah. we may be very strong women, we may mm. be opinionated and and leader types mm-hmm. people, some more than others, some less, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter whatever your personality is. You can put on these things mm-hmm. in Christ and mm-hmm. these will make you effective by through these things. Mm-hmm. God will be effective in ministry Mm -hmm. through you.
0: Well, thank you so much for that, Kathy. Kathy and Hugh have written a book on ministry and witnessing to other people, and that book is called Always Be Ready. You can find it at support.reasons.org.
3: Hi, I'm Caitlin Carr, and I work for Reasons to Believe in the Visiting Scholar Program. This week, we are joined with Dr. Erica Carlson as our Visiting Scholar, and today we're gonna get to know a little bit more about her. Erica, tell me a little bit about yourself.
4: Well, I am a theoretical physicist. That's my job. Um, and I'm a professor of physics at Purdue University. Uh, I, uh, my, my career path through all of that was that uh, I did my undergraduate work at Caltech pretty close to your offices here. I did major in physics. It's kind of the weed out major there, but I managed to survive. So I have a bachelor's in physics from Caltech. I did my doctoral work also here in Southern California. I worked at UCLA and that's where I got my PhD in physics. After that, I went on to Boston University for a postdoc and then came to Purdue as a professor over a decade ago. And then tell me about your Christian life. How long,
3: when did that start? What caused it to start?
4: Well, I began. have been a believer for a long time. Uh, I became a believer when I was four years old, and that was a real actual conversion. Uh, I was, uh, you know, my my uh, my mother's father is a Baptist minister, Southern Baptist minister, and so she would take us to church, not his church, we didn't live in the same area, although I certainly had the privilege of hearing my granddaddy preach several times. Um, he was really good at it, by the way, <laughs> just for the record. Um, and it was when I was four years old that I, I uh, committed my life to Christ, and and it's uh, the result of Sunday school teachers. So you know, God bless our volunteers and churches who do that and work with with young people. So this particular Sunday school teacher, every week, she was, obviously she was teaching us about Jesus and how much he loves children, and I thought that was great, you know, he loves children. Uh, and. Every week she would ask us, if you wanted to have Jesus in your heart, pray this prayer with me. And of course I wanted Jesus in my heart. I mean, what? He does all these miracles. He loves children. The people who follow him, I could see in my own life that the people who follow him also love children and treat yes. children with dignity and so I wanted in and so I invited Jesus into my heart at that age and in fact I, I did it 52 <laughs> times because she would ask every week and I didn't know if it stuck last week. It sure. was a few more years before I got assurance of salvation. So then as I as I grew in my faith it was when I was 10 years old that I became baptized and I uh, got serious about um, a growing a relationship with God and so that's the age at which I, I began reading the scriptures on a daily basis on my own. I'm not gonna say I've read them every day since then, but you know it's my habit, it's my daily habit. And so at night before bed, I would be reading my Bible and that year I read through the whole Bible wow. when I was 10. And then over the next couple of years, I read through it again. And that's, that's just basically been my habit since then, is to just move that bookmark forward. When I was in high school, um, my faith is absolutely indebted to an atheist friend that I had in high school, because he wanted to learn about Christianity. And as a young Christian, I thought, this is great. My friend is interested in Christ. So we would meet uh, every week. We would meet um, uh, for breakfast before school. And by the way, he and I would trade uh, places for the top uh, physics student. Right. okay? So uh, he and I both left high school early in order to go to uh, to college. I left a year early to go to Caltech. He left a year early to go to MIT. So he's a smart guy, you yeah. might say. Well, he was interested in Christianity, but asking me all these needly questions that I could not answer. And he would say things to me like, Erica, how can you believe this stuff when you haven't thought it? through and he was right, I needed to think it through. And so it was on his behalf that I started really wrestling with some deep questions that he was asking me. And at first it didn't challenge my faith, but then really to enter into the question is to let your faith be challenged. And uh, one of the things I learned at that time is that you know, hey, take it to God, he loves questions, right? You see the way Jesus interacts with people, he loves questions. And so as a result of taking my questions to God, that scary time, Um, became less and less scary as he showed me new things. So I'd say it was foundational to my faith to have my atheist friend challenge me. Now I thought I had, you know, totally messed everything up by not having all the answers and by giving occasionally wrong answers. Um, But he did eventually become a Christian.
5: Hello, Jeff Zwierink here. Welcome to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific topics and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Leslie Wickman, and we're gonna be talking about what she thinks is the strongest evidence for the truth of Christianity. Leslie, good to have you here today. Great
3: to be with you, Jeff.
5: So I know you have a PhD in engineering. You're currently working in an administrative role at Biola. I know you've done a lot of other fascinating jobs. I think you got some astronaut astronomy background, even some football background. But uh, really what I'm interested in today is you're a Christian, a scientist, and a woman. What is it that you see as the strongest scientific evidence that points towards the truth of Christianity?
3: Well, I always come back to God's two books of Revelation and how he has revealed himself faithfully, both in scripture as well as in his creation. And so I'm constantly looking to his creation to see what evidence there is. And for me, one of the strongest things is just the the fact that it seems like earth is a very rare planet, uh, certainly in our solar system, possibly in the galaxy and even beyond. Uh, so that's one of the things that that I love talking about. It's something that I share with my students all the time, and there's so many different pieces to that that make Earth such a unique place.
5: So why don't um, why don't you take some time and what are what are kind of maybe two or things that stand out that make Earth rare? I, I'm I'm presuming in its capacity to host life is what you're talking about there.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been referred to as the Goldilocks planet, right? And um, so. Uh, as we see NASA searching for extrasolar planets, planets around other stars, uh, we often hear about whether or not uh, an exoplanet is in its star's habitable zone. And so that kind of habitable zone or the Goldilocks uh, zone around a a star would be the location where the planet would have the right temperature range to support liquid water. And so that's, that's kind of, We hear this all the time in the news. It's like, is that planet in the star's habitable zone? Well, that's kind of just the beginning point for whether or not that star or that planet may be uh, life friendly, right? So the fact that water can exist, not just as liquid, but in all three physical forms. So uh, gas, liquid, and solid supports the water cycle which is necessary for life. And so that in itself does make a planet rare, but it goes beyond that. Um, we have to have a, a planet of the, the right size in order to have uh, the correct mass to give it, it the exact gravity um, really to what to what Earth has uh, in order to uh, have the right kind of um, atmosphere. Uh, so you know we, you know, close by in our own solar system, we see examples of planets um, that don't have the right kind of atmosphere. For example, Mars, um, which is a little farther out from the sun than we are, is a planet that has about three or three eighths of Earth's gravity. And that's not enough to hold on to life giving atmosphere. Um, for example, we need, obviously, we need oxygen to breathe, but we also need to be able to hold on to uh, water vapor. So if you remember from high school chemistry class, water vapor weighs in at 18 grams per mole, Earth's gravity is just strong enough to hold on to large amounts of water vapor, uh, yet not strong enough to hold on to the poisonous gases of methane and ammonia at 16 and 17 grams per mole. So we see Earth's gravity balanced on a knife's edge essentially to hold on to life-giving water vapor and not to the poisonous gases or at least not large amounts of the poisonous gases of methane and ammonia so that's one one little example but there are, are so many more
5: um you know I, I remember remember when i was in college one of my professors we were talking about earth's atmosphere and made just the exactly the point you're making there that Earth is large, massive enough that it holds on to the water, but not so massive it holds on to these poisonous gases. You know, it, it just, your, your comments remind me of how often we talk about habitable planets. We'd see Mars and Venus and assume they're habitable, but we know from being close to them that they're not. So when, when you look at and see this balance and how well Earth is designed to support Earth or life, what do you see as the implication of that or what is it that gets you excited about that
3: right so i mean i just scratching the surface with this one example but you know the list goes on i mean universal parameters like the strength of the various physical laws you know um, are are just again balanced on a knife set you know strength of gravity and the strength of the strong nuclear force the strength of the electromagnetic forces Um, You know, all these things are just so finely tuned and actually, I mean, in reading a lot of reasons to believe uh, publications, this is emphasized over and over again, and I think it was Hugh that actually came up with a probability estimate of what it would take to just get all of these parameters Within the proper range of values, so that life could exist anywhere in the universe, and that number stuck in my mind as uh, some somewhere around one chance in ten to the two hundred eightieth power. And so, to say we got lucky is, you know, from a just a random chance standpoint, uh, ridiculously understating it. Um, you know, we to put that number into perspective. Um, you know, there's only an estimated 10 to the 80th atoms in the entire universe. So even to pick just the one correct atom in the universe is one chance in 10 to the 80th power. And then if you imagine that maybe we do live in a multiverse and let's say there are 10 to the 80th universes and 10 to the 80th atoms in each one of those so to pick out just one specific atom in all those universes is still only one chance in 10 to the 160th power so we're not even approaching approaching the improbability of getting um you know, all these conditions that are necessary for life. And if, you know, statisticians will say that once you move beyond chances of on the order of one chance in 10 to the 50th power, it moves from the realm of statistical improbability to virtually statistically impossible. Um, so those are the things that strike me that, you know, either we got just incredibly lucky or there's intelligence involved in creating a place where humans can not just survive, but thrive.
5: So I, I'm, uh, this evidence of, yeah, you know, just the, the unlikelihood of finding a planet seems to point to there being a creator. Um, you know, if, if there is a creator and he's fashioned this earth, what do we do with those probabilities? How, what gets you, what do you want to do with that information?
3: Well, first of all, I think um, it needs to be uh, more well publicized, I guess. I mean, I think people within the scientific community um acknowledge the what they call it by different names, whether it's the anthropic principle or the fine tuning argument or uh, the teleological argument, um, goes by a lot of different names. But the, the, I think people uh that maybe aren't in the scientific community, um, aren't aware of it. And I think it's a very, very powerful evidence uh, for an intelligent creator. And so, first of all, I think raising people's awareness to that. um, And for me, I kind of go a little bit further with it. Um, And because of the fact that there have to be so many things that are just exactly right to support life, um, and coupled with the fact that Earth seems to be a rarity, it it reinforces my, uh, call to stewardship. Um, you know, in Genesis one, God over and over talks about, he saw what he created and called it good. And, and then called us to be stewards of the good creation that he made. And so for me, I think it really emphasizes, you know, earth is rare and there's nothing, there's, You know, so far as we know, nothing quite like it, certainly in our solar system and beyond, probably. Um, And therefore, we ought to take really good care of what God so carefully put together for us.
5: Well, thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate your comments. You know, it is true when we look at this fabulous creation and the earth in which we live, we see... Abundant evidence that there's a mind behind it, that there's design behind the earth, that there's a creator for it, that that creator has made it for us to live. And we see when we look through scripture that he's not only created it for us to live on, but he's also given us charge to rule over it well, and we want to do that. You know, I would encourage you to go to reasons.org search for Leslie Wickman W I C K M A N you'll get you'll find her page and get a lot of resources that she's produced to help you see not only the evidence that points to the creator but how we take that evidence and tell others about Jesus. We hope this episode has helped equip you
1: to share your faith with compassion and confidence.
0: And I hope if you are a woman who is considering going into ministry that this episode has really encouraged you And helped motivate you to continue to step into the field that you have on your heart.
1: I loved what Kathy Ross was saying about her experience coming up through like Reasons to Believe and like just always being along for the ride and being such a support to Hugh Ross. It was so great.
0: She's been such an amazing leader, so I'm very helpful or not helpful. I'm very appreciative to Mm. hear her perspective and that is helpful. Yes. Don't forget, subscribe to the show and also search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show.
1: And if you would like the audio version of the show, you can find us on your favorite podcast service. Just search
5: Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya!